0: Old heart's blood that Not you. He-
1: so the as we
0: can beat me then deeper When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me all the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless
1: Saviour died, My sinful soul is
0: counted free, For God the just is satisfied, To look on Him and pardon me, To look on Him and pardon me. Behold Him there, the bleeding Lamb, My perfect spotless, Graciousness, The great unchangeable I am, The King of glory and of grace. One
1: with Himself I cannot die, My soul is purchased, by His blood my life is
0: hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my
2: this Sunday for our second last Sunday
3: school uh, session of this year. God has mercifully allowed us to meet. We don't take that lightly knowing the circumstances that many of our brethren all over the world have gone through this year and which we ourselves here have gone through but the Lord has in his mercy allowed us to meet. In this uh, session, or this particular Sunday, we are looking at the model prayer of the disciples, rather the model prayer for the disciples, what's more commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, And uh, we are looking at it for the second time today, and the Lord allowing, we would look at it uh, next Sunday for the third time. Before we
2: continue on, allow me to request that we we pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you with thanksgiving, realizing
3: that in your majesty and uh, holiness, you have chosen to own us and be our Father, not by not just by uh, virtue of creation, but by virtue of costly redemption. And we bow before you this morning, requesting, even as the disciples did, Lord, teach us to pray. And we kindly ask that all this teaching and learning would be for your glory, that we would know how to pray so that we would pray according to your will and so that your will would be established in our hearts and in our world. We
2: please pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are joining us online, we apologize for that delay in starting
3: the brethren here who Are helping us with the technical aspects have worked hard, and we are grateful to God for them. Uh, They've worked hard to ensure that we can live stream this in spite of some challenges. Now, last week we began looking at the model prayer for the disciple. And we specifically, as we look at what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, and which we Said is really the disciples' prayer, and uh, made a case for that in several ways, and especially from the fact that part of this prayer has the request, "Forgive us this, forgive us our sins, for our debts or our trespasses, as we have forgiven our debtors." A prayer that our Lord surely would never have prayed. Um, we then were able to say this is not his prayer, as in a prayer that he would make. It is our prayer, and he has graciously given it to us as a skeleton, as an outline, as a structure upon which our prayers would be founded. Again, we said it is not given for us to vainly recite it. Because in the very context where this prayer is given, in Matthew 6, verse 5 to 8, the Lord is addressing hypocritical prayers. And one of the problems with hypocritical prayers was vain repetition. And so, having immediately addressed the issue of it is wrong to have vain repetitions in prayer, The Lord doesn't
2: give us a prayer to vainly repeat. Excuse me. Thank you, Dennis. Having given us
3: instructions, commanded us not to come before God with vain repetition, the Lord would not give us a prayer to vainly repeat. So this is an outline. This is a structure. We encourage ourselves to memorize it, to meditate on it, and then to use it as the platform, as the structure, as the mold upon which we build our prayers. And we have this assurance that if we pray according to this structure, if we pray according to this model, Whatever form of prayer we make, wherever we pray, we would be praying according to God's will. So that should encourage us. But we also sought to ask ourselves, why should we learn how to pray? Why is it important to learn how to pray? And a number of things were given as reasons. We learn how to pray Because prayer has, by God, been given a very high uh, role in the disciples' life. We so see the apostles saying they would give themselves to prayer and the word. The apostle Paul, in writing, calls us to pray without ceasing elsewhere, to pray at all times for the saints with all manner of prayer. We are told that uh, in everything we should make our requests known to God with thanksgiving. And so we see that prayer is a very important part of the disciple's life. Prayer, just as the study of God's word, are crucial, are important uh, aspects of the disciple's life. And so, if you are to pray ceaselessly, if you are to obey that command to pray ceaselessly, surely you want to pray aright. Because we also did see that in prayer, one may not only waste his or her time, but they could actually annoy God in and with their prayers. As we clearly see, in the context there, verse 5 to 8, the prayers of the hypocrites are not just a waste of time, they are an annoyance to God. And in the book of Proverbs, the Lord is clear, if we disregard his law, even our prayers are an abomination to him. And as we focus on this model prayer, our two main aspects of interaction during this uh, Sunday school sessions touch on the disciples' high priorities as he or she comes to pray and the disciples' heart posture as he comes to pray. And if you remember, we said heart posture and not just posture. Because there are a number of things that the Lord does not say with regards to prayer that we must do. He doesn't tell us uh, that you must only pray in a particular place. And the picture in in the scriptures is people prayed in all manner of places in caves, in the temple, in the palaces, before the king, even in the belly of the fish. People prayed audibly. People prayed in their hearts. We see people praying at all manner of times of the day. And so posture here has to do more than with physical posture, with our heart posture. And so those are the two things that we would especially be focusing on. We did see But this prayer as it is given is masterful. Only God would have given this prayer. It it starts with our relationship. It paints a beautiful picture of our relationship with God. When 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 the model prayer tells us to pray our Father, we are reminded of this relationship of Father and Child, which... You as a disciple have when you come to prayer. For to you to call God for you to call God father in the sense here, you are not just his child in the sense of Malachi two ten, has not God is is not God the father of all in that particular context, or Acts seventeen, we are all his offspring. The context here is one that not only speaks of God as father in terms of creation, but God as father in terms of relation. And we we reminded ourselves that whereas all are God's children by creation, not all are God's children relationally. The Pharisees are told you are of your father. The devil. And uh, as Pastor Dominic recently preached, we did see that those who do not practice righteousness are children of the devil. Hallowed be your name demonstrates that relationship you have with God, where he is deity and you are a worshiper. That's the relationship there. Your kingdom come surely demands that the posture of your heart is he is sovereign and you are his subject. Your will be done surely demands that the relationship there requires that you approach prayer from a posture of heart that recognizes that he is your master and you are his subject. Give us this day our daily bread truly reminds you that you are a beneficiary and he is the benefactor. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, reminds you that you are a sinner and he is your savior. Lead us not into temptation reminds us that relationally, God is our guide and we are pilgrims. We also did see that our attitude in prayer surely must be unselfish. There is no personal pronoun in this prayer. The posture of our hearts in prayer must be our, not my Father, not give me this day my daily bread. My posture must be so unselfish because I'm coming to our Father. There is a family spirit that entails that that consumes your heart as you come to prayer. Hallowed be your name, demands that you are reverent. Thy kingdom come, demands that you are loyal. You determine, I am going to be loyal as I pray. Thy will be done, demands that you will be submissive in the posture of your heart as you pray. Forgive us, our trespasses, surely requires that you are penitential Penitent in your heart as you pray.
2: Lead us not into temptation. Demands that you come with humility. When we say thine is the kingdom. We
3: come with confidence in prayer. We are not praying to one who. We we are not dualistic in our prayer. Where it's as if God and the devil. Are on the same and we determine who is going to win the, the, the fight between good and evil. No, thine is the kingdom, reminds us as we come to prayer that our attitude must be one of confidence, our spirit is one of confidence. Thine is the kingdom, confidence, and the power, triumph, and the glory we exalt the Lord. We also did see that this prayer has three elements. The first three are petitions that deal with God. Hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, have to do with God. Then the second set of elements, the next three have to do with us. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not
2: into temptation. God is our father. God is the king. And God is the master.
3: God is our father. And beautifully seen there in how he gives us this day our daily bread. God is our king and we pray, rightly pray, thy kingdom come. And he forgives our debts
2: and pardons us. God is our master. I would like today, as we go on, to remind us that prayer is never an attempt
3: to bend the will of God to us. Prayer must never be an exercise where we seek, where we attempt to bend the will of God to our desires. Rather, prayer involves bending our wheels, bending ourselves to fit the will of God. It demands that the posture of our heart, the eyes of our heart, continuously see God as sovereign. And the purpose then that we bring into that space of prayer is we want God's will to be done and we are asking him to grant us The joy and the the obedience to do his will. The joy in seeing his will come to pass and the obedience to participate in the fulfillment of his will. So that at the end of every prayer we make, we should, you should ask yourself if during the prayer you are actually saying, for thine is the glory and the power and, and the kingdom and the power forever.
2: Can your prayer conclude in that way? John fourteen thirteen reminds us that when prayer is granted,
3: it is for the glory of God. The Lord expressly puts it this way. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Why, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So prayer is for us a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful opportunity to see God being put in display. When God, in answer to our prayer, saves someone that we have been praying for, He is showing us. His power in salvation. When God provides for your physical need, a need that you brought to him in prayer, it is not merely so that your material difficulty or your preferences are met. He has done that, based on John 14:13, so that you may know that he has power to meet your needs. Prayer is not informing God. Prayer is not conning God. Prayer is not manipulating God. Prayer is not a thing we do to irritate God. We do not pray
2: to force God. What we do in prayer is we submit to God.
3: Prayer is not about you. It's not about your needs. It is about the glory of God. Prayer is not for us to get what we want. Prayer is for God's majesty to be put on display. Prayer is for glorifying God. All prayer must focus on God. And the model prayer for the disciple makes this abundantly clear. And as we said last week, even in the deepest and most severe circumstances, when we look at the prayers of people in the Bible, when we look at the prayer of the saints of God in the Bible, where they were in dire circumstances, in the teeth of adversity, as they come to pray, they would frequently worship God before making their requests to him. If you think about Jonah in the belly of the great fish, talk about a place of fear and misery and difficulty and darkness. There in Jonah too. If there was a place where worship and praise would have been considered an amenity to be dispensed with, this is one of those. But Jonah does not just jump out into to help, give us this day our daily bread, deliver us. He starts with ma- a marvelous anthem of praise. When we look at Daniel 9, when we look at other sections, maybe we could even look at one. And last week we did look at Acts chapter 4 there when the apostles were facing difficulty. And they've been threatened and they've been told, you no longer must continue to preach in this name. And when they come to pray, the first thing they bring to the fore of their mind in prayer is sovereign Lord. And they magnify God with their prayer or in their prayer as they focus on the various aspects of the sovereignty of God. Today let's look at Psalm 86 as another example of a place where. Praise and God's agenda is put at the fore when one is in need Act six verse fourteen verse six to fourteen See the, the, the psalmist writing: give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, listen to my plea for grace. now his plea is not immediately mentioned until verse 14, where he says, Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. Before he comes to that plea concerning a band of ruthless men who have risen up against him, who seek his life, what does he do?
2: In the day of trouble, verse seven, I call upon you, for you answer me.
3: There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations have you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Now that's somebody in need, and that's the first thing they are putting at the fore of their mind. What is the next thing they put at the fore of their mind, having spoken about the majesty and the glory of God? Verse 11. They want to be obedient. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And then verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God. With my whole heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Clearly, the majesty of God is at the fore of his mind and his commitment to obey God. There in verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. He is committing to do God's will even before. He is saying, Do your will, O God, and then presenting or making his request known. This model prayer makes it clear to us, going back to Matthew 6 again, it makes it clear to us that as a priority in our minds and as a posture in our hearts the disciples must recognize that no one can ask god for something unless we first of all affirm that god is sovereign and he has the right to say yes or no ours must be an unselfish attitude Ours must be prayer aimed at exalting God as the one who is majestic. We need to come to prayer constantly remembering that he is
2: the all-powerful father in the Old Testament. When we think about God as Father, what heart posture should that
3: uh, create in us? When you think about
2: the fatherhood of God, what posture of heart does that cause you to have?
3: Fatherhood surely demands that we think of God as source. He is the one who has begotten us. He is our source. Fatherhood, apart from making us think about God as source, should surely cause us to think about His nearness. God is near to us. The concept of fatherhood is one that demands an appreciation of nearness. So as you are praying our Father, you are realizing I belong to you. You are my source. But you're also thinking I am near you. You've not told me to pray our King who art in heaven. Whereas that's going to be done in the second line to balance this so that we do not sentimentalize God. He starts by calling us to realize that God is near to us, our Father who who is in heaven, who art in heaven, our Father in heaven. He is in the family, and he has brought you into the family. And surely when we come to pray, we must have that mesmerization that the Apostle John has many, many, many years after he had come to faith, he still is wowed and in wonder when he thinks about the fact that he is a child of God and says, behold, see this and wonder. Behold, how marvelous it is that we should be called the children of God. And he says, and so it is. We are not just children by name. Our DNA, we've not just been adopted and given a family name as it does happen in the earthly uh, realm without the DNA of the adopted child changing. We have actually had our DNA changed so that he
2: is really our father. The concept here As you stand, as you pray, you are aware you are face-to-face with the
3: Shekinah. That should never escape us. We should be trembling at the reality that we are face-to-face with the Shekinah. But yet, we are reminded that this sovereign, fearsome, all-powerful ruler of heaven and earth,
2: whom you are face-to-face with, He is Father. He is near to you.
3: Even in texts like Psalm 68 that talk about the majesty of God. As he talks about the majesty of God there in Psalm 68,
2: then the Lord reminds us that he is a father to the fatherless. Fatherhood surely should remind us of God's loving grace. How has he
3: become our father in this relational sense? It is by grace. It reminds us of Psalm 103, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Fatherhood should surely remind us that uh, the, the posture of our heart should be one that Thinks about As we think about Father, we are not just thinking about him as our source. We are not just thinking about him as being near, as being filial. We are not just thinking about God as graciously having brought us to that space where we can pray our Father. But we are also thinking about the fact that he lovingly guides us. We are thinking about loving guidance. For fathers do guide. The Father will lead. The Father will direct.
2: The Father is wise to give direction. But fatherhood also reminds us that we must obey. The
3: attitude of our heart when you say, Our Father. The posture of your heart should instantly be, I am permitted to obey. I am committed to reverence and obey God. When we say, our Father, we surely must bring to bear Matthew 7 and from verse 7 onwards to verse 11. Maybe we could read that because there we see the caring nature of God. The beneficent and loving Father. So when you're saying, Our Father who is in heaven, you're thinking about this God, the Lord Jesus Christ, there in Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good gift, good give good gifts to those who ask him? When the Lord prayed over seventy times or so thereabout in the scriptures, he always used the word father. It is only in his sin-daring uh, section there in on the cross that he does not use the word Father as he prayed there. He uses the word My God, My God. Why have you forsaken me? But in contexts like Mark fourteen thirty-six, we are told how Jesus prayed, and he prayed, Abba. Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you but but what you will. So there we see Abba Father. The Lord Himself prayed this way. And we are we are reminded by the apostle in Romans eight fifteen that we likewise can pray this way. Because we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How about in Galatians 4:6 again where we are reminded. And because you are sons,
2: God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So what's the posture of your heart as you pray? Abba Father. What's the posture of your heart?
3: Surely that posture must be one that brings an end to fear.
2: It must bring an end to fear. One of the things
3: that we know missionary endeavors have achieved as the gospel has reached the heathens who have lived in absolute fear of their angry gods so fearful are they of their angry gods that they would be willing at times to sacrifice their
2: own children as a way of pushing away the wrath of these angry gods
3: The Lord Jesus Christ tells us. If you are in this place. If you have through the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to God as father. Because this is not something. That the non-believer has. John 14.6 is very clear. Jesus Christ says. I am the way and the truth and the life. And he says. No one can come to the father. The posture of our heart is we are no longer hopeless.
2: It is the end of hopelessness. Ours is a posture of hope and trust. It is the end of loneliness. Our Father, remembering
3: He is near, we are not lonely anymore. Our Father... It is the end of selfishness. He is not my father. He is our father. Praying at all times, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 reminds us, praying at all times, in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with I got the wrong text. I was looking for the text where we are called to pray for all the saints. We'll come back to that. It is the end of scarcity. The attitude of our heart is this. He is our Father who art in heaven. Heavenly resources are being employed in in, in whatever we are bringing before him, especially the earth-bound aspects of scarcity are done away with. It is the end of disobedience, for surely would you do say, "Our oh, Father," and at the same time be harboring that sinful of attitude that says, "I will obey after I see the answer you give in response to this prayer." No, we pre-commit that we will obey you. Even before we know what the answers would be, it is the end of lack of wisdom. When we say, Our Father, we come there knowing we will not suffer want of wisdom because our Father knows, He has knowledge, He will guide us. To pray, Our Father who art in heaven surely indicates our eagerness to come to God as beloved children who are looking forward to receive all that he possibly wants to give us. When you pray, you're not lost in the crowd. The network is not jumbled. He sees you. He identifies you as his child. When you pray, you have...
2: You are before God, the God who is our Father. There's so much
3: to be said about the high priorities and the heart posture of prayer. But hopefully, these discussions now this Sunday and next Sunday will jumpstart us into realizing that we are wrong many times when we pray, because many times when we think about prayer we focus more on how it works rather than what prayer is for. We tend to be very pragmatic when we are coming to topics like prayer. We think about prayer as a means to an end. And many, many times, a means to a selfish end. Or prayer is that last-ditch effort It's somewhat like that life jacket in an aeroplane. And the air hostess is telling you under your seat is a life jacket. And uh, you're almost thinking, I'm happy it's there, but I hope I don't get to use it. Because prayer is just about me, it's like a parachute. And we are happy we have it on our our back. But we hope we don't get to use it. Praying gets this wrong perspective many times. Because we have not looked at prayer from the perspective
2: of God. We look at prayer from man's perspective. Let me reiterate that the at the risk of of over-repeating myself.
3: Prayer is not so much for you as it is for God. Prayer is not for you to get what you think you need. It is an opportunity for you to participate in this beautiful opportunity where God chooses to manifest his sovereignty, and his glory. Prayer is for God. It is incidentally, it is as a byproduct for us, but it is primarily, foundationally for God. And it is as God's
2: purposes are met that as a byproduct, we benefit. If we all never gain
3: anything from prayer, apart from the fact that I communed with God, apart from the fact that I was in the presence of the sovereign, holy God, and he did not consume me, instead he treated me as his beloved child, that should be sufficient motivation for prayer. When we are praying, we are entering into this throne room of the living God. And we are communing with him. And this is a high gift, dear brothers and sisters. It is a marvelous one. It is a strong motivation. So we not only commune with God in prayer, and that should Really excite us to labor in prayer, but we actually get to participate in the demonstration of
2: God's glory. So please remember
3: this, especially as we think about those first three petitions. Because having said, Our Father who art in heaven, the first three petitions have nothing directly to do with you. In fact, they do, but they, they are petitions you make on behalf of God, and you'd be able to see what I say by that. The first petition, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We have been oriented many times to think that prayer is an opportunity for us to impress God with ourselves. Or it is an opportunity to manipulate or push or convince God with our needs.
2: We don't pray so that God thinks that we are holy. We don't pray so that
3: God would give us what we want we pray so that his glory would be put on display and we know as children of god that his glory would be our ultimate good and so we want it god answers our prayers as we saw in john 14:13 so that his name would be glorified let me reread it john 14:13 whatever you ask in my name this i will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So as we pray, we are coming in submission to God. All our petitions, all our passions, all our supplications, all our requests, our needs, our trials, our difficulties, our joys, we subject to his name, verse 9, hallowed be your name. We subject to his kingdom, Thy kingdom come, verse 10. We subject to his will. Thy will be done. And it is after that, that we can pray, give
2: us, forgive us, lead us. True prayer begins with God. But the prosperity
3: preachers and the word of faith preachers would sadly seek, unfortunately seek, to tell us that prayer is an activity where we bring God in line with our own desires. It does not say, my kingdom come. It does not say, my will be done in heaven as on earth. That's not the model prayer we have here. This name it and claim it movement is a tragedy in the church of God. It is a terrible departure from the model prayer. When the proponents of this approach to prayer, this approach to demand that God aligns himself to your desires and to your will, a so-called word of faith, tell you, that all you need is faith. All you need is to command and to demand. And they inappropriately handle texts out of context.
2: So that is not how to pray. Prayer has as its purpose the uplifting of God. As we pray, the posture of our heart and our primary priority
3: is that God is uplifted in our prayers, in our minds, in his world as the one who is sitting
2: in his rightful place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our goal in prayer Second goal, our priority in prayer is
3: to ask God to help us to live in accord, to live in agreement, to live in concord with his sovereign will and to rejoice in that will when he answers our prayer. This model prayer focuses on God. It corrects the sins of the hypocrites. And we did see last week that the Lord was saying, when you pray, prayer is a very important thing. He does not use if. He uses when. And he does that three times there between Matthew 6, 5 to 8. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. It's an important thing. And so he's telling you, be sincere as you pray. Remember you're praying to your father who sees in secret. You could be praying, all praying on the outward, but God sees your heart. And he's saying, be simple. God already knows what you're coming to ask for
2: before you ask for it. So the first prayer, we've not even
3: started with the first prayer, hallowed be thy name. Let me pause here and maybe we can extend up to 10.15, 10:15 because we started at uh, nine, 19 minutes past any any comment up to that point
2: or question or even correction
4: thank you so much for uh taking us through uh <coughs> this i i love how uh there's just a sharp contrast in the word of faith and demand and the other side where uh people are obedient to the scripture you'll find that uh, Mm -hmm. even in their personal walk of such people uh Mm -hmm. they're not obedient to god Mm -hmm. and even a common way of noticing they are not obedient to God is the way they relate with one another. Mm-hmm. You find there is slander, there is disobedience to parents, there is no honor to the authorities or even respect. Mm-hmm. There's just a clear-cut disobedience of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to prayer, they think that they are loud praying, they are demanding and uh, claim it and decreeing bring things to pass, mm-hmm. only that they are stimulating their emotions to mm-hmm. think that things will come to pass, which is so tragic, while on the other side how wonderful it is to know that an obedient son, an obedient daughter mm-hmm. knows uh, his father or her father mm-hmm. because they are led by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so being led by the Holy Spirit, you'll see even their personal life, they're obedient to the commandments of Christ. Uh, they, They love to walk according to the word of God so that even now the Holy Spirit will love to lead them accordingly. And so that when they go even in prayer, their first desire is their father. Their first desire is his kingdom. Their first desire is his will their will will align themselves to the will of their father Mm. and so they will desire all that their father has spoken and so they will be be blind you know they will they will um because in the complexity of how so many things has been instructed concerning prayer, who to pray for, when to pray, how to pray, how to approach, what to say. Mm-hmm. You'll find that being led by the Holy Spirit, they'll be aligned well. One day they will pray for the authorities according to First Timothy. Another time they will give supplication for all the saints. They will yearn for one saint and plead to God concerning them and Maybe another time they will abound in uh, giving lots of thanksgiving to the Father, lifting up their holy hands. Uh, it's so wonderful to see that how the Holy Spirit plays a key role in actually helping these humble, dear saints to pray aright and to mention what the Father desires. Yeah, so the role of the Holy Spirit uh, is such a key thing in understanding even the Lord's Prayer. Right.
3: And, and Paul does remind us we do not know how to pray. And uh, yet the Holy Spirit enables us how to pray. I think rather than just look outside there and uh, think about um, those who are wrong. They may be sincere, but they are wrong in the word of faith space. Let's look at ourselves. Look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word. We are instructed, dear brothers and sisters, way beyond our level of obedience. We have much more motivation to pray when somebody's motivation is I'm going to pray the whole night because I want a 4x4 four four car, whichever car it is. And you, your motivation is, I want God's name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet we drag our feet into the prayer chamber we miss out on so many prayer opportunities corporate and private we seem not to be realizing that and it's a motivator for our, our, our friends in the in the name it and claim it space to pursue reward an eschatological Understanding of the end things, an understanding of the end things, and the rewards that accrue from prayer, should motivate us, dear brothers and sisters. Should cause us to want to change this thing of I'm being pleaded with to attend prayer, and I attend prayer and I'm rolling my eyes throughout the time, not physically, but behaving as if. Have been told to eat gravel, seems to indicate that we haven't really seen the beautiful priorities that we have in prayer. Thy kingdom come. This this has to deal with God's program. Thy will, hallowed be your name. Surely this is his priority. The priority we come with in prayer is, I want your name to be hallowed. This is his plan. Let's look at hallowed be your name just briefly. We cannot do good service to this. This is in itself uh, a very long series. But let's just think about this. When we talk about God's name, what are we talking about here? Because again, that's a thing we've lost in our time. The Jewish concept of what a name means is not just some handle that you put on one person to differentiate them from another. What we have in view here concerning God is his character, his attributes, his majesty, his glory. We want his name to be hallowed, to be reverenced, to be set apart as other, holy is the fullness of your character. We want that in prayer. So we are making this first petition on behalf of God, but who is going to implement it? So there is a sense in which you need to realize that when you are praying, hallowed be your name, you are praying that First and foremost, you would demonstrate the holiness of the character and majesty and glory and attributes of God in its totality. Surely for you then to become an answer to that prayer, you need to believe that God exists. Hebrews 11.6 You cannot make that prayer... If you're living like a practical atheist, because it is a fool who says in his heart there is no God, and there are times we live in practical ways that seem to suggest that there is no God. So I must, first of all, believe that God exists. But I need not only to know that God exists and believe it, I need to know the kind of God who really exists. You cannot divorce biblical prayer from true doctrine. If you are neglecting platforms that will enable you to grow in doctrine, you will not be able to pray aright. Because You will fail to pray, hallowed be your name, either by your ignorance, a lack of knowledge of who God actually is, or by your wrong conceptions of who God is. This prayer, this petition requires that we are conscious of his presence hallowed be your name, requires that you are living Coram Dio. You are always aware of, I am in the presence of God. And it's a beautiful petition just after we've been told, pray our Father, and the filial aspects of that, and to protect us from over-sentimentalizing God. We bring to the fore of our mind the fact that He is holy. This prayer requires that we commit to obey him. You are saying, God, may I be a vehicle for the display of your holiness when you say, hallowed be your name. You are praying, God, teach me your truth and help me to live your truth when you pray, hallowed be your name. That is a high priority. You are trembling at his holiness and desiring His holiness at the same time. We want to manifest His holiness and we are requesting Him to grant us a true knowledge of who He is so that we could respond correctly to what He actually is. You are praying, "Oh God, display Yourself through me. When you are saying, hallowed be your name. It is a prayer that would be in response to Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men. That they would behold your deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are saying, shine in my heart and through my heart. The people would be able to see who you are and they would reverence your majesty. When we pray your kingdom come, surely we are recognizing one, it is his kingdom. This is not my my kingdom come. It is his kingdom. And there is a king. This surely is a prayer about Jesus Christ. And that's why I put program here. Because the program here is the display of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are praying, Oh Lord, I want to to I'm requesting you that your kingdom come in the conversion of the non-believers. Your kingdom come in my commitment to you to yourself as king, because you may already have been converted. But we desire that he, he becomes king and lord of our lives in all its aspects. But you're also praying for the consummation or the coming end. You're praying, oh, come quickly, Lord. I'm looking forward to the end. I'm looking forward to that time when your kingdom will be on earth as it is already displayed in heaven. When every knee will bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So this second prayer has within it a missionary angle. The desire for the salvation of the lost. A commitment to the Lord as your King. And the desire for the coming end. Next week maybe we can start with your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His plan. We'll wrestle with questions about the sovereignty of God. Is it redundant to pray your will be done or not? Is it like watering your lawn when it is raining? Can anyone resist the will of God? So if no one can resist it, why are we praying your will be done? Why are we fervently praying? What would cause you? to spend the whole night in a prayer vigil, praying your will be done, whereas it will be done. Can any mortal influence? So we could start there next week. Any concluding comment? Question?
2: Thank you very much for coming. Let's pray.
3: Oh Lord, as we come to you, we remember you are our Father. You are in heaven. We belong to you. You have begotten us. You have saved us, and that's why we can call you Father. We thank you so much. For the gift of salvation, we thank you for how you guide us, you protect us, you lead us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to sit at your feet and to be taught to pray. Lord, we pray once more that for the glory of your name, Teach us to pray.
2: We kindly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
0: Amen, there is a real man. With wounds still gaping wide From which free streams of blood was spread In hands and feet and side Tis no wild fancy of our brains No matter The same dear man in heaven now reigns That suffered for our sin This wondrous man of whom we tell Is true almighty God He brought our souls from death Drives his own heart's blood, that human heart he still retains. Guilt away, he will present present us.